You are listening to the Therefore a Geek podcast, episode 38. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Therefore Our Geek. I'm Andrew. And I'm Tracy. And today we're going to be talking about two uh, Ernest Klein novels, uh, Ready Player One and Armada. Uh, folks who have been have been listening for a little while uh, probably picked up on the fact that I am a huge fan of Ready Player One. And uh, Ernest Klein's newest novel, Armada, just came out a few weeks ago, middle, uh, actually a month ago now. Uh, it was like the 14th of July. Brand new novel. Uh, again, another, another standalone for him, but uh, thought since we're talking ready, we were going to talk Ready Player One anyways, since uh, I've been trying to get Tracy to read it for the longest time. We thought we'd go ahead and talk about both. So Yes. Yes. I'm actually pretty excited about the fact that they're both standalone novels because I originally thought, now, I, I was out of the country for most of the time that this book was being hyped up, but so, I thought it, I just, I'm sorry. I'll be honest. There wasn't, a, I didn't see a whole lot of hype to it. Um, yeah. There's a little bit more chatter about the fact that ready player one has been picked up for uh, the film rights have been picked up. So I'd heard quite a bit about that, but um, I just, I guess I assumed that Armada would be the sequel to ready player one. So I'm actually excited that it's a standalone. I think that there's a whole lot more pressure on authors who write standalone novels to make that one novel good. And um, there's a little bit less time to, to create the arc of the story. And so everything has to be a little tighter, a little more concise. And I really appreciate that. So I, I'm pretty excited that they're both standalone novels. Yeah, for both books, you're looking at about a, about a 350 page count. And part part of the reason I, I, I started reading it, one, is I had a couple of friends who could not stop recommending it, uh, much like I did to Tracy. And the other fact was, I've mentioned before, I, I started trying to read shorter, standalone is always good, but just shorter books in general. Uh, I, I, I was somewhere in the middle of uh, A Song of Ice and Fire, and I just, I got, I got fed up with, with the thick, heavy... But especially George R. R. Martin, just because he's so verbose and 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 so heavy. But but in general, just of you know thousand page novels, I'm like I don't I don't need to read a thousand fucking pages. It just it doesn't need to happen. I don't have that kind of time. You know, doing that, I'd read you know a book every two months if I was lucky. And I think it's also at the expense of the story. I mean, I think that it is. I would be hard pressed to see 
a story, a book over 600 pages that couldn't be condensed down. Um, and that applies to Brandon Sanderson. That applies to George R. R. Martin. That even applies to Robert Jordan. I mean, it's, I often think that when you're forced to, to fit in a, in a shorter number of pages or a smaller word limit that, um, an author is forced to just make his story more concise. Um, and then you skip all the extra stuff. Like again, George R. R. Martin is known for, um, in his more recent books, just kind of wandering off and telling you every detail of, you know, a character's day. And I, I really, I don't care how often they stop to, to take a, a whiz, you know? So, he, pont- um, he pontificates. <laughs> That's the perfect word he does. I mean, and, I've actually been getting a lot of good use out of that word uh, the last like week and a half at work. <laughs> well, it's a great word, so it's it's definitely worth all the use you can put in. So at any rate, um, Ready Player One, uh, basic 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 plot here, and 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 as a heads up, folks, that you know, the, we'll go ahead and call this a, a spoiler cast. Um, not because it's our intention to to spoil every every detail about the books, but just to allow us allow us the freedom to to discuss it without uh, without tra- yeah without without trampling on on anyone here. You know you, you you've never been warned ahead of time. So so the general the general plot of, of Ready Player One is you have this kid Wade who goes by the who goes by by the online name of uh, Parsival and. He lives in this real shithole time period and place. It's post-apocalyptic. Well, kind of. I wouldn't call it post-apocalyptic. But it's like it, the apocalypse happened, and it just wasn't quite as bad as we were thinking. Well, I, I would actually, I would actually look at it more like like a Soylent Green kind of future, where just it's not post-apocalyptic, but the world's gone to crap. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he lives in a particularly crappy area, somewhere in the the Midwest, I think, uh, the United States, and basically he lives in these giant uh, trailer stacks. And his escape, and the escape for most people in, in the world, is this computer program called Oasis, which is kind of like, it's really, it's, it reminds it's a lot like World of Warcraft on steroids. It's an enormous virtual reality that takes over reality. Right. Uh, it's almost I, It almost reminds me of The Matrix a little bit. Yeah, it's kind of somewhere between the Matrix and you know, like World of Warcraft because there is a there is a, a game element to it. Most people don't don't use it, but there is absolutely a, a game element to Oasis. Um, and Parsival is uh, what is called a gunter. He he is 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 among a, a sub subculture that is searching Oasis for basically these Easter eggs that was left by one of the creators who died. Uh, James Halliday, and basically Halliday's will states that anyone who who solves these puzzles that he's left will inherit his estate, which is several Enormous, hundred, yeah. yeah, several hundred billion dollars, effectively. So there is this this sub subculture has developed around trying to find it. It's it's um. At the at the point where the book opens, it's several years into this game. So a lot of people have, um, who were kind of dilettantes, I guess, weren't really didn't really care that much about the game. They were just kind of doing it in their spare time. Have kind of fallen off, and there's only a few people that really care about it. Um, that are kind of still looking for these uh, clues to this fortune, and then there's also another um, 
another corporation who is doing it in 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 their typical ham-handed uh, corporate way, which is to um, hire people that are really good at these things and and try to do it in um, a, a mass effort to try to to find these before anyone else so that they can take over uh, Halliday's estate. Right, and 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 that group of people is is uh, collectively known as Sixers. They work for a company uh, IOI, and uh, all of their all of their usernames in the game are IOI and then six six or six and then a, no, a string of numbers, and it's basically their their, uh, their 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 work ID number. And they use that as their gamer tag. And yes. That's, um... So that's why they're referred to as Sixers. And and collectively, uh, they and the head of their group are the big bad evil guys of the book. Of course, they're the antagonist. So Wade is um, Parzival. He spells that with a Z. Um, is trying to find these clues, but it, he's also st- stalled out as well. He hasn't found anything. Um, so so when the book opens, nobody literally nobody has found everything. So there are three keys that have to be found and three gates unlocked. And literally nobody in, in all the years that they have been looking, nobody's even been able to find the first key. And, and Wade, uh, Wade's the first one to find anything. Yes. Um, which and, gives him a ton of XP and bumps his character up on the, on the Oasis rankings and that kind of thing. Puts him at the top. Um, but at, at that point, it also it, really, it sparks off what what amounts to um, a virtual arms race yes. between himself, obviously the Sixers, and then uh, a couple of other characters. His best friend in the game, uh, Ake, is how I'm pronouncing it. A E C H. I think it's H, like H, like the letter H, but um, but the actual spelling of it. That um, yep. Yeah. And then, um, of course, Artemis. Artemis, who is is the the love interest, if you will, which I, to, I'll be honest, I, I actually kind of enjoyed that, that, that portion, you know, like a lot of times you have that, the forced love interest. Mm-hmm. Um, and we can talk about this a little bit in Armada too. This felt really good because it's, it's two really awkward kids tr- kind of like not dealing with things and just being awkward. Teenagers. Yeah. Like, well, and here's, here's the other piece of, what I think um, Ernest Klein does brilliantly in both of his novels is that he addresses these social concerns, I guess, of, of the current time period without preaching. Um, if there's one thing I despise in a book, whether I agree with the author's point of view or not, I dislike being preached at. I dislike reading a book and realizing the whole thing is a sermon on acceptance or whatever. But one of the things that Klein does in this is that he Artemis is of course another gamer and Artemis is her gaming tag her gamer tag and she designs her avatar to look like she really looks so it's a little bit um, a little bit chubby Um, she doesn't take any I mean the average person when they get a chance to choose an avatar they're going to create someone who's very svelte they're going to look you know something like a model something like the Hollywood sort of um, preferred body image and this character does not do that and that's one of the things that Wade really likes about her is that she chooses to portray herself in virtual reality the same way that she is in real uh, reality 
And that's, but, but it's not, it's just mentioned. It's something that Wade really likes about her. And then we move on. We don't harp on it at all. Klein doesn't sit there and talk about, I really like it because every girl should feel this way, blah, 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 blah. No, it's just this specific girl and what she's chosen to do and how much the main character really enjoys it. And then we move on. Um, and that's fantastic. And there are several other sort of pieces of social commentary in both books that um, Klein addresses in the same easy way. And I appreciate it a lot. Yeah. No, I, I really love you get that you get that bit, those bits and bits and pieces of social commentary, but they're kind of scattered around and inter intermingled in the books in such a manner that it's not interfering with my enjoyment of the book. Like it's not interfering with the plot of the book or the or you know it doesn't suddenly feel like somebody took over and is puppeting the characters for yes. a paragraph and a half and then they go back to being themselves. Exactly. And and it doesn't make you suddenly feel like, oh, the whole point of this entire book was to preach at me about something that the author feels strongly about. And it's great. It's it's fantastic. Yeah. One of the things I love most about this book, so it gets off to a kind of a slow start. Like, it's not, you're not immediately dropped into action. And in fact, it, it takes you a little bit to kind of get into the book. Once it gets going, this book picks up speed like I was unprepared for. Yes. I pushed through the last 100 to 120 pages in a night. Uh, and for me to do that, it says a lot because I don't read quickly. So that, that's a significant time commitment for me. And I think I, I think I was up to about 2 in the morning uh, and was just worthless at work the next day. But it was <laughs> it was absolutely worth it. Yeah, um, it, it you're absolutely right because I remember I was in Spain reading this book finally. And I messaged you on Facebook and said, uh, so I'm having a lot of trouble with the first two chapters. And you were like, no, 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 it's fine. It starts slow. Yeah. And I was like, oh, okay, phew, that's fine then. And you're right. It I think I, I finished it pretty quickly as well once it, once it actually picked up speed. And even the funny thing is, is that, okay, so Wade is obviously our knight in shining armor. He, this is a rags to riches story. Um, he starts out very, very poor, living with his aunts. Um, it's not really addressed much, but I guess his his immediate family has passed away. And he's living um, several trailers up in a, I guess humanity has figured out a way to stack tra uh, trailers, like mobile homes. And sometimes container ship containers, I guess, are in there as well. Um, just on sort of scaffolding. And so you just, you climb until you reach your own home. It's it's like an apartment building sort of, but made out of mobile homes, which is bizarre, but is a very evocative image. And so he lives there with his aunt and she likes to steal his stuff and sell it. And she lives with abusive boyfriends. And so he tries to spend as little time there as possible. And even after he manages to find the first key to the um, to unlocking this treasure, the book doesn't instantly tell us that he's now going to win everything. It no. takes a detour. Right. No, and it's a, in, it, it actually takes several detours. In fact, I mean, there, there's a point where he's kind of lost in, 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 in the fame and in the moment. And he loses sight of, of, of the big picture. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, and to be honest, I mean, just from the quality of the writing, I started to wonder, um, and that's another thing that Ernest Klein does so well is, um, it's very, 
having read two novels by him now, I'm starting to realize that just because there are several plots within plots. So the first plot reveal doesn't mean that, okay, well, that's the, that's it. That now we know what, what is going to happen between now and the end of the book. No, there are many more plot twists to be revealed. So having him kind of get sidetracked and then other people catch up to him, including some of the Sixers and even get ahead of him a little bit was a little bit scary for me. I, I was like, wait, maybe, maybe this isn't going the direction that I thought it was going to go. And, um, well, and, and the, one of the other things about that is you talk about it taking the plot, taking, taking detours and turns. None of them felt by the time you're done, none of them feel out of place. Right. So, so, at the time you you're sitting there scratching your head like what the hell is going on, mm-hmm. and by the time you by the time you come back on course, it, it all it all fits together, it all makes sense, and it all feels right. Yeah, the only thing that I would say kind of interrupted that flow is when Wade goes into um, I believe it's the old arcade that Halliday had created. He created several uh, reproductions of the arcade that he used to play in as a child. And Wade goes and he manages to get a quarter. Um, he w- he wins one of Holiday's favorite games and he manages to um, get this quarter that had been he, stuck. He gets he gets he gets to a kill screen on Pac Man. Oh yeah 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 that's right that's what it was. Um, um so he gets to the kill screen on Pac Man and he he manages to get this this quarter and then it just kind of fades away and I just kept thinking this feels a whole lot like a Chekhov's gun you know there is no reason that this is going to be in the story unless it has something to do with the end and that was one. And I'm, I'm, this is not really a criticism because it's rare that you only have one of these. But there was that was the one time when I think he gave a little bit away about the end. Uh, I mean, maybe. But at the same time, I kind of look at that like f- from from 80s arcade game playing. There is a significance to that. Yes. And right? well, and that. Yes, that, that, absolutely. That, that, that quarter is your extra is your extra life. You know, when you when you when you die, you can drop another quarter and, and, and come back. And, and also, I mean like gamers, you know, that's how you save your place in line is you'd walk up and put your quarter on the, on the, on the arcade game. And that was, that was how you would claim, Hey, I'm, I've got this game next. Yeah. Um, and that brings us to, um, another big thing that Klein does brilliantly. And that is, um, he drops a lot of references in his books. Um, in ready player one, it was, Primarily '80s cultural references. Yeah. So, what was it? So, so uh, James Halliday and the, the the creator of Oasis was obsessed with the '80s when he was a, from when he was a kid, mm-hmm. and so everything he incorporated about the about into the Easter eggs was a, was about the '80s. Was about that time period. Yeah, um, and and that allowed and. I mean, uh, Klein himself was born in 1972. So this would have been the time frame that he was a young man. Um, he would have been eight in 1980. So all of his teenage years were growing up. So of course, and, and it's, it's very obvious when you're reading this book that this man is talking about his own childhood. But that doesn't detract from the story at all. In fact, I think it enhances it because the depth of the references, I mean, they go down sometimes two and three levels and they're occasionally mixed up um inside each other and then every now and then and this also happens in armada which we'll get to is that i'm reading descriptions of areas uh in the book um maybe a scene is being set for the reader 
and I pick out little pieces and I think I think that the description itself is actually a reference to something else um and it's just it's very very cool and then it leads to you kind of questioning everything is everything a reference is this entire book a reference um I think in a way it is it's it's one of the things that I think that he does best yeah and I've actually heard people a couple people complain that that he didn't go deep enough And, and and my response to that is that you have to keep in mind that the whole the whole premise is that you're they're looking for this easter egg set up by one person this is one person's experience and understanding and his the references he loves out of the 80s right yes. this is this is in the 80s as as a whole in its entirety this is what what James Halliday was obsessed with so i i think you're right i think this for, for to a large extent this is what Ernest Klein was obsessed with as a kid um, I, I think there's a lot. Of, there's probably a fair amount of Ernest Klein in in Halliday, in terms of uh, interests and things like that. Um, I, actually, Halliday is is I think one of the one of the more interesting characters of the story. In part, like I mean, he's dead the whole time, but we still get a lot of him, obviously yes. through um, through journals and things like that 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 have been made public, like at, on his death. Like his journals and stuff were made public so that people could, you know, they'd have clues at least to know where to start. Because, I mean, trying to find these keys goes really fucking deep. Yes. And we also hear about him um, through his friend. Right. So, so Halliday was not the only person who created Oasis. He and his friend Ogden Morrow were the, were the, were the co-creators uh, in, a, in a very Steve Jobs, Steve Wozniak kind of way. Which I think um, is even referenced at one point, right? I think they mention the Steve Jobs, Steve Wozniak. Yeah, I think uh, I do believe so. Well, and it's funny because Ogden even looks a little bit like Steve Wozniak. Yeah. And, and Halliday yeah. Halliday sounds like he looks, um, sounds like he looks like looks a little like Steve Jobs. You know, Ogden Morrow's kind of a, a bigger guy with a beard, um, mm-hmm. and 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 Halliday's a very thin thin man like like Jobs. Very obsessed with his work. Um, sounds like he strokes his chin probably quite a bit. That that sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. But to be perfectly honest, I mean, he was. I found him to be one of the more sympathetic characters because you realize there's there's a person who who had a lot of a lot of struggles. I mean, just through his whole life, and then you know he 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 basically he couldn't he couldn't deal with certain things. We find out later on. So so. Halliday and, and, and Morrow had a huge, huge uh, falling out, again, much like Jobs and Wozniak. Mm-hmm. And it turns out that that Halliday was in love with Ogden's wife. Yeah. And and he just, he didn't know how to deal with it and how to express that. Although that, that, that little bit actually reminds me of, um, reminded me of um, Eric Clapton and, and uh, George Harrison. Interesting. Because um, Clap- Clapton was actually in love. Uh, if you ever heard the song Layla, Clapton was that's actually about Clapton or yeah, Clapton being in love with George Harrison's wife. Oh well, that in itself might have been a reference. To be honest, I mean it. It gets to the point where there are so many levels, um, both of plot twists and of references that you start you start to question everything. For instance, I was questioning whether or not by the end whether or not Ogden Morrow was trying to undermine all of Halliday's uh, legacy. And of course, it turns out that he wasn't. 
but I for at least three chapters in there, I was going, oh, this is going to be bad. This is going to be bad. He's definitely going to screw everybody over. And then, I mean, but I think that's the brilliance of the story writing is that you're always on the edge of your seat and you don't know what's going to happen next. So you're talking about the ending. I think in general, this is probably the, the most satisfied I have been with a book in a long time. Yeah. The ending was just, it was everything I wanted. It wasn't, it wasn't necessarily everything I expected, but by the end I said, I sat down and I looked like there's nothing, there's no other way I would have wanted this to end. Yeah, exactly. Um, but before that, I, I did want to kind of bring up the fact that Klein doesn't seem to have a problem, much like a lot of modern authors now. Um, they need to kill someone off to prove that it's really, um, there's actual consequences. And the way that Klein killed off a couple of his characters was, or at least one of his characters, um, was actually pretty brutal. I was not expecting that at all, especially yeah. in a virtual re in a book primarily set in a virtual reality. Um, but to have the antagonist, which I, I mean, I don't, I never expected a corporate bad guy to be quite as physically brutal as they were in this book. Um, I kind of expected that they would do a lot of uh, threatening, that they could um, do all kinds of uh, maybe hacking, they could destroy your life, you know, virtually, kill your credit, that kind of thing. Um, did not really expect them to blow up Wade's home with all of his family in it, or um, or to kill off another character in real life. Yeah, that that was interesting. It it, it it made you realize that there was more outside of than just uh, outside of the game than just than just what happened in the in Oasis. And it really gave a new level, a new edge to the antagonist. Instead of just being, okay, corporate baddies that you're fighting in this virtual reality to take over this fortune, it suddenly became, no, these are actually bad people and they need to not be here right now. Right. Um, one last thing I do I do want to mention, and this is, this is something I just really enjoyed. Uh, at, at one point, after, you know, about halfway through the story, Wade's living on his own and... Um, He's, he's he starts getting fat. Yes. And yes. and and in in true geek geeky fashion, he he starts working out, but basically he he does it only for the purpose. Like at least initially, it, because he's got the super expensive gear for Oasis, this um the suit, this this interactive suit, and he can't fit in it. <laughs> like it's getting too tight for, he can barely fit into it so that's why that he, starts, he can't he can't play he can't he can't be in his game because he's getting too fat for for his stuff so he, that's why he's losing weight i thought that was just that was very very in character very good yes that was hilarious i had completely forgotten about that until just now it's, yeah. it's actually one of one of the parts i laughed probably the hardest at so, so something interesting I, I I discovered uh, looking into like doing some research for this podcast is that there is actually there was actually an Easter egg included in the book somewhere. Now I don't I don't know if it was only I, I can't even imagine how you would include an Easter egg like that like something in a in the book maybe have it how the was it with the printing or something, um, but basically. Klein actually created his own version of of the hunt, and uh, gave away DeLorean. Really? Yeah. 
That's crazy. I didn't know that. That's fantastic. Yeah, it was it was a, a multi multi part uh, uh, event. I'll see if I can I'll see if I can find some more information to put it in the in the show notes. That would be fantastic. I'm I'm really interested in that. Yeah, it's, it's, it, I thought that was really really cool. Is, is an entire book basically about 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 Easter eggs, and 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 he he has the the wherewithal and the foresight to actually include one in there. Yeah. Okay, so moving on to Armada, which was just released, uh, what a month and a half ago or so. I, I think it, I think it's literally like just over a month ago. Okay, so this is a much anticipated second book but it's not again it's not a sequel to ready player one i was kind of expecting to find out a little bit more about wade's happily ever after but i guess um at least for the moment that is not that's not available so instead this book is about basically something like ender's game something like the last starfighter again more references of course because this is ernest klein we're talking well and and, you know that they are they're very. He's very upfront about about that. Yes. In, in this case, I think there's a little bit more than than meets the eye in that one. At least based based on the on the on the dust jacket and Amazon description, the way I kind of I, I see it, you know, it's a science fiction version. But basically, the, this kid is this kid Zach, is is sitting in class, and he looks at the window and he sees what what amounts to would amount to like, the, like a character from world of Warcraft, like something out of this M- this science fiction MMO he plays and he thinks yeah. he's losing his mind and it turns out he's not. Yeah. And um, the whole, the whole thing is definitely an homage to those science fiction classics in which um, a young person is being uh, basically his, his lifelong pursuit of video games has been all preparation for him to, um, actually fight off a real invasion of some kind usually aliens right and i would say you know, like, oh well that's that's ender's game i would say the big the big difference here is that like so like an ender's game ender's fighting the battles and doesn't know it right and with with one except with one exception everything zach's doing is effectively training yeah it's it's a um it's, it's a, actually a, a computer training module Right, um, disguised as a video game, and um, and they've been using, uh, uh, according to this, a, a, an international governmental agency, um, the EDA, has been monitoring people's high scores and how well they play, and um, looking for players that would have the skills and the um, aptitude for actual drone uh, control to to fight to fight this. Um, space war using drones. Right. So, in, in general, I don't, I don't think this was quite as good as Ready Player One. I, I would say that. And 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 saying that is a little bit difficult because this is a very good book. And it's, it's very just, different. It's very different. It's just it it it's it would be exceptionally difficult for for them to for for, for Ernest Klein to have written a second book that is that is anywhere near as good as ready player one and certainly not as surprising because we've kind of learned his mo well i would say this is this is close this is is certainly not like a bad book this is certainly it's a very it's a very good book but i mean he just he hit pure gold on on ready player one and it's really hard to follow up to that same level 
Well, I have to feel, I have to say that I kind of feel as though this book was slightly less well edited, almost as though he had less time to go back through and correct a few things. So there were a couple of moments where I just thought that some of the ways that the, the of course, this is written in the first person, and some of the ways that that character breaks the fourth wall is a little awkward and not as it doesn't flow as comfortably. But then there are other moments when that break is so flawlessly executed that I'm laughing out loud. I'm sitting in my chair just laughing. Um, so it's still the same author. It's still the same sense of humor. It's still the references, only in this case, they're much more modern. In fact, um, they're much more mixed. It, it, they're, they are much more mixed. In fact, um, the gamer tag for one of his best friends is Quoth, which is the main character from Patrick Rothfuss's uh, The Name of the Wind books. And I was just completely blown away that he was throwing in these things that were not directly game and science fiction related, which is pretty cool. Well, but at the same time, I mean, that's kind of the reality of, of especially these like gamer tags. Um, a, a guy I know at work, his gamer tag is Wreck It Ralph. And it's nothing to do with, you know, yeah, Wreck It Ralph's kind of a video game movie, but like, it honest to God has more to do with the fact that he has a striking similarity to the main character, look like physical, like, facial similarity to the main character yeah um than anything else so well that's true but i mean it, it still goes back to the author being able to with his own personal experience being so wide and his decision to make the references in this book so varied um i think it's very cool especially considering that his first book was primarily 80s and video game references um and there's definitely references to basically <laughs> Almost everything that is um, space uh, science fiction in the last 40 years, well, yeah, um, it, including it, a couple it, of references to Guardians of the Galaxy. Right. It is a little, a little, little more themed uh, towards that. So, so in, in, in Ready Player One, we kind of had the James Halliday as the driving force behind all the references. And in this case, um, it is uh, Zach's dead father, uh, Ulysses. Who, who basically Zach discovers kind of his his he's a, his dad's a geek and he discovers his dad's kind of treasure trove of D and D books and VHSs of science fiction and and video games and just kind of everything. Yeah, and so and and his um, his dad his dad is actually a lot closer to like my age and Tracy's age, yeah. a little a little bit older. Um. He he supposedly died in 1999, uh, at the age of 18, and I was 15, 14, 15, so a couple well, of the, years behind. But yeah, in in the book he's 37. So right, so um, so, so so one of the one of the the big plot twists is we find out that Zach's dad does not die, uh, but is in, was in fact it was a, his death was faked. And he he's in fact recruited by the, the EDA to to help defend Earth. He's he's one of the first recruits uh, that that they get. And he's recruited actually before Zach even turns a year old. So he's basically an infant. His father passes away before he really knows him, um, or at least he's told that. Um, I think it's kind of hilarious that they decided the way that they decided to cover up his father's death was not a car accident, was nothing else, um, but was actually a waste management plant's 
explosion um and shit exploded and his dad died um and when he asks his father about this later his dad explains oh well we needed an explosion so the body would be unrecognizable and i'm still thinking i still don't see why an automobile accident wouldn't give that to you but that's still what they went with well well because because it's not a michael bay film cars (laughs) cars don't blow up don't naturally blow up like exploding is not the natural state of an automobile Good point. I, I good point. I sometimes forget that life is not a Transformers movie, um, but yeah. So Zach also, um, interestingly enough, Zach is a little bit more like um, Peter, Ender's older brother, than he is actually like Ender because he has some anger management issues. He wasn't recruited early. In fact, he has a little bit of a chip on his shoulder because of that. At least at first. Um, well, so like, um, are you talking about Ender's game? I was actually thinking like in comparison to Wade. So, in a lot of ways, Wade is is far far more mature. He's he's a year yeah. or two younger. Um, but he, he's had to deal with you know living on his own, and he, and part of it is 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 his environment. He lives in a he lives in a, a crappy situation, so he's had to kind of grow up a little bit faster. Um, whereas as Zach. Yeah, I mean he's eighteen. He's he's still, you know, mature, but he's still he's an eighteen year old. He has he he has anger management problems. You know, he he goes off at the beginning of the book. Uh, you know, he's getting he's literally getting ready to, to hit someone with a tire iron. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then of course, um, his recruitment vessel shows up and he's interrupted. But yeah, and and it's interesting that they they reference this and. He's frustrated by it, but at the same time, he does understand. Um, and of course, Klein, again, with the, a little bit of gentle social commentary, does point out that um, m- many of his anger management issues come from the fact that um, he had no father figure growing up, basically, um, except for his boss at the uh, video game store. But that was very loose and very little mentoring happened in that uh, relationship. So, well, and, and it's not it's not just... The, the lack of a father figure also i mean he, he the the in in the story they kind of his, his nickname in high school is, is zach attack because mm-hmm. some kid was running his mouth about how zach's dad died and zach just beat the shit of the kid mm-hmm. so so it, it also has to do with there's also a little bit of um a bullying uh commentary there without being too heavy-handed yeah exactly and and i appreciate that because it's just a this very quiet um understated reminder that everyone's going through something and just because they react in a certain way doesn't mean that you should necessarily judge them for that reaction but again very quiet very understated um definitely not the point of the book at all you know one of my one of my actually one of my favorite characters in this book um although I kind of feel one of the less believable characters is uh, Alexis, is is the female, the female lead. I re- I really like her character. I kind of wanted some more of it. She uh, almost sounds like a DC bombshell statuette. Uh, I I don't know if I go that far. I mean, she just I, I again some of the some of the I am not particularly if people have seen pictures of me. I'm not particularly uh, punk rock, but I, she she sounds like a lot of like. A, some of the punk rock folks I used to hang out with like in high school and college. Mm-hmm. 
like that 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 doesn't surprise me at all so she she seems to be able to do do certain things just kind of more more as a plot device like i i kind of understand like they they get these really fancy communication devices called qcoms and and she's basically able to hack them without thinking about it yeah really kind of effortlessly yeah and yeah i mean they give they give a good enough explanation that i at least found humorous but at the same time it really found like a felt like it was just all right here's a plot device we're going to need to use it later yes kind of thing that's um, true it, it felt a little and this kind of goes to the bigger picture of the book it felt a little less methodically thought out than ready player one i would agree except not not an exception but um i would also comment that i appreciate that Ernest Klein does not fall into the trap of creating a female love interest or um, or kind of counterfoil for the main character that is perfect, svelte, smooth, has no flaws whatsoever. I mean, a lot of times I read books um, by geeks for geeks and it's the guy is really awkward and he's very relatable and you can, you know, as a geek, you can identify with him easily. And then there's this female that sort of sweeps in and she's so cool and she knows everything that's going on. And she just kind of gives this wry smile and um, laughs at the main character. And then all of a sudden he falls in love with her. And the, the, you know, the, I just think about one of the ones that I think is the worst. And I, and I enjoy the movie uh, significantly, but one of the ones that's the worst about this is Scott Pilgrim. Yes, exactly. That perfect example of what I'm trying but to where say. Where Scott's that super awkward and Ramona just comes in and he's, oh, she's perfect. Yes. But Klein doesn't do that with his female characters. Neither Artemis nor Alexis, um, sorry, not Alexis. Um, yeah, Lex, sorry. Um, are, well, are perfect. Like, even when you are first introduced to Lex, she has a little bit of a drinking problem. Um, and she isn't able, I mean, she's, she's, sitting there very cool very chill very punk and um zach sits down next to her they start chatting and she isn't able to chug down an entire flask um without with impunity she's slurring a little bit she it makes her a little bit um a little bit giddy a little bit ridiculous in a moment when she probably should be a little bit more solemn and i appreciate that because she does make a few small missteps they're not terrible it doesn't make her a horrible person it just makes her more human. Yeah, I'd, I'd have to agree with that. Yeah, I, I just in general, I think that this it, this book felt a little less, a little less clean, a little less well thought out. Um, so obviously, I've, I've already spoiled it, but you know, Zach's Zach's dad is still alive and is in fact uh, one of the generals at this point, leading leading the fight. And aside from everything else, you know when Zach is reunited with his father, his father is still just as big a geek as when he left. Yes, absolutely. Um, I mean, there's just like, like the, the things he, he sees about his dad are really kind of amazing. Like there's th these three guys who have been stuck up, who've been, who've been stuck together for what, what amounts to years. They've got a band and, and basically their set list is, is his dad's, gaming music list pretty pretty much the same like pretty pretty close you know his dad's still the same person even yeah. though even even though he's been through all this and it, you know his, his dad's had a hard time 
because you know he had to leave he had to leave his family and you know, without letting them know what had happened i mean right there I mean, was nothing yeah they think they think he's dead and i mean it it takes a toll on him like mm-hmm. i mean i mean and and i mean mentally legitimately takes a toll on him he has to go to counseling and things and it's it, it's difficult for him but he knows He's he's trying to do the right thing. Yeah. Uh so, so Tracy, do you have any any final thoughts? Um, I would have to say that I completely agree with you. Ready Player One is absolutely brilliant. Um, the last hundred hundred and fifty pages are a wild ride. Um, I highly recommend it. I do also recommend Armada. I mean, if I were doing this in Death Stars, I would give Ready Player One a, a giant five. And I'd have to give Vermont maybe a four and a half because um, it, it really is also a very, very good book. Um, so I, I'm interested to see what, of course, as we mentioned, the movie rights to Ready Player One have been picked up. I'm interested to see whether or not they can do that book justice. Yeah, that's going to be the difficult part just because there's so much, um, so many uh, different rights issues with all the references. But yeah, we'll see. Yeah. And um, I'll have to look at this further, but at least according to Wikipedia, um, the rights for Armada have actually already been, were actually already sold. Oh wow, that was fast. Okay, they were actually sold apparently like while he was still writing it, like a while back. Basically, I think based on the success of of um, Ready Player One. So yeah, I guess that's how they do things these days. Yeah. So Tracy, what have you been into other than other than this? Um, I am actually reading another Brent Weeks book. Um, this one is called, I believe, the the Black Shadow. I don't have it in front of me, and I forgot to write down the title. Um, but it's one of his first books. Uh, I'm really enjoying it. It's a little bit um, slow to start, and the parts that I'm interested in, uh, it, it's kind of it's telling the story of this realm from um, the the uppity ups, the king, and all of his advisors, and then it's also talking about um, the storyline of this kid that's um, an orphan and he's a thief. And so I'm more interested in the thief part. So I keep trying to skim through the parts about how um, the succession to the throne is going to go because I don't really care. Um, I, I like Brent Weeks. His books are a little bit long and I think that he could probably chop this down a little bit, but I'm enjoying the book so far. Um, and then I'm actually, I think this weekend after this, I'm going to watch all of the Lord of the Rings movies again, the extended versions. Cause it's been a while. Nice. Um, I have been working a ton. Yes, you have. I haven't heard from you. It's crazy. Right. Well, it doesn't help that I'm, I'm working 10 to 11 hour days on second shift. So, um, however, kind of anytime when I leave and when I come home, uh, Becky has been watching Bob's Burgers. So I've been, I've been watching a fair amount of of Bob's Burgers. I also started watching, um, Justice League last night, the old, uh, the, the Tim verse Justice League. And I discovered that, um, Amazon also has Batman the Animated Series and Superman the Animated Series. So I can go back and I can watch those because I haven't watched those since I was a kid. Very nice. So I'm, 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 yeah, I'm excited about that. So, All right, folks. Well, if you like what we do, head on over to thereforeageek.com. Check out our blogs and our Facebook and our our podcasts. Head on over to facebook.com slash thereforeageek and like us. You can follow us on Twitter at Therefore I Geek and Tracy's at Mary Eyes on Instagram at Therefore I Geek. And 
You can find this podcast and others like it on iTunes and Stitcher. You can subscribe and leave us a review. So once again, I'm Andrew. And I'm Tracy. And you've been listening to Therefore I Geek. Thank you.